0: I am really excited to be making this announcement. Through the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I am now offering one-on-one coaching. You've been listening to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, right? You know what I can do. I'm able to help you learn in a fun and engaging way. My one-on-one coaching will help you apply the concepts that you learn in the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast and even more to your own life and career. With my help, you'll be able to take your career to the next level. You'll be able to lead teams more effectively, make better decisions, and even achieve your goals faster than before. Contact me today for special pricing on this new and exciting service. Contact me by visiting starfleetleadership.academy slash contact or hitting me up on social media at SFLA Podcast on Twitter or at Jeff T. Aiken anywhere. Contact me today and start getting coached through the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, thanks for joining me today. I wanna thank everyone that chose to support the show by subscribing to Patreon and becoming a member of Red Squad. I am absolutely humbled by you. Enjoy the bonus content and let me know what other shows you'd like me to watch. In this episode, I'm going to show you the importance of self-advocacy and share some methods to do it. I'm also going to share a simple indicator of how inclusive you are actually being as a leader by talking through the second season finale of Star Trek Enterprise, The Expanse. This one doesn't waste any time. Big ol' Sphere flies up to Earth and shoots a massive laser from the middle of Florida and straight down south. It cuts a swath of about 4,000 kilometers and then crumbles, crashing to the planet's surface. Prior to this, there's been an extended story about Captain Archer and the Klingons, Duras specifically. We get a short scene where a council orders him to make good on his failures and to go get Archer. We are offering you a chance to regain your command and your honor. On the Enterprise, Archer has pulled the senior staff together. He tells them the devastating news. There's been an attack on Earth. This series, Enterprise, is at the birth of the Federation of Starfleet. Everyone on the Enterprise, except for Phlox, the doctor, and T'Pol, the science officer, are from Earth. They're all human, and they are shocked. Archer sends them on a course back home at maximum warp. Trip, the engineer, has a lot of really specific questions. His family's from Florida, and his sister was still living there. There isn't any news about her, but all the news coming from Earth right now is grim. The number of casualties has been revised. It's up to three million. As they're talking, a group of Sulaban ships comes alongside and they take Archer. The Sulaban have been an ongoing concern for Archer since, well, since the pilot episode of this series. They take him to their leader, a guy that I call Future Man. Without going into too much detail here, that'll be for other episodes. There was an attempt through just about the whole series of Enterprise to tell a story about a temporal Cold War. A group of people battling to control time itself, basically. This shadowy guy, I I think his official name is Humanoid Figure, but he's been using the Sulaban to fight as part of the temporal Cold War. It's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. That's a super... High level overview, but hopefully enough to make this next scene make a little more sense. So Future Man tells Archer that a species known as the Zindi sent the probe and launched the attack because They learned that their world would be destroyed by humans in 400 years. From another group in the Temporal Cold War, he warns that they're building a more powerful weapon that will destroy Earth. He's telling this to Archer because the Zindi were never supposed to learn this. This is messing up the entire timeline as they approach earth things are looking worse and worse we've now learned that over seven million people were lost and to add to the weight duras has found them and he attacks it's a klingon bird of prey they call for archer's immediate surrender luckily they're close enough to earth that the calvary comes in to save the day, Here I come to save the day. three more ships come in and duras has no choice other than to retreat With them gone, the Earth ships escort Enterprise home. At Starfleet headquarters, Archer is trying to convince Admiral Forrest, his commanding officer and Saval, the Vulcan ambassador to Earth, that what Future Guy told him is true. In a quote that will absolutely haunt the Vulcans in the future, Saval pushes back with Our science directorate has determined that time travel is impossible. Alright, Universe 1, Vulcan Science Directorate, a big fat zero. Archer shares evidence that Future Man gave him. They've recovered the probe, so Archer quantum dates it. Most of the materials line up with what you'd expect, except for one key piece that dates it. Minus 420. This fragment's from the future. They also show the corpse of the Zindi pilot. Scary reptilian looking creature. They confirm the date, and now they're taking it more seriously. They look at the info provided on the Zindi. They're in a part of space called the Delphic Expanse. Now, this part is important. It literally sets the table for the entire third season of Enterprise. There have been reports of fierce and dangerous species, unexplained anomalies. In some regions, even the laws of physics don't apply. A ship of Klingons returned from the Expanse, and all their bodies were anatomically inverted, and they were still alive. A Vulcan ship in the expanse sent a transmission showing them completely devolved into a state of primal violence, wild and unexpected consequences, and nothing, nothing is known about why. Force and of all, I'll take this information to command and await further orders. Malcolm Reed and Tripp are on the planet's surface at the site of the carnage. It's literally right where Tripp grew up. The house was over there. In a kilometer, see over there, that was the old movie theater. His sister's gone. Forrest gets back to Archer. They're going to send Enterprise and only Enterprise into the Delphic Expanse to stop the Zindi. Enterprise is undergoing a refit and upgrades to prepare it. We also see the next ship like the Enterprise being built. It's the Columbia, the NX02. Archer also asked for and is getting a group of Makos. Military Assault Command Operations. So then they'll be available for, well, whatever awaits them in the Delphic Expanse. This mission is serious, serious business. Vulcan High Command has told T'Pol that she will not be joining the crew and she's gonna return to Vulcan. Phlox challenges her though, saying that he's staying on board. Sad realization that he'll need me more than ever on such a crucial mission. T'Pol decides to consider this. They start loading in the new weapons. Photonic torpedoes. Their range is over 50 times greater than our conventional torpedoes. And they have a variable yield. Reed, as tactical officer, is pretty pretty excited. He's got teams working to retrofit the torpedo tubes in the power grid. With the upgrades complete, they depart. We get some reused footage from the pilot episode, Broken Bow, to show Enterprise moving out of space dock. Archer checks in with Trip, and he is not doing well he's straight out looking for blood tell me we won't be tiptoeing around they're interrupted by the most patient person ever i mean they've been in space dock at earth for months and duras is waiting and attacks again reed is super excited to use the new torpedoes on him. they're super effective the updated hull plating is protecting the ship as well a successful if not unplanned test They disable the Klingons and warp on their way. T'Pol meets with Archer. She shares that she's really come to enjoy being on board. Well, maybe not in so many words. Well, you never did care for the way we smell. At least you won't have to put up with that anymore. I've gotten used to it. And then she says she's gonna remain on Enterprise. She's gonna defy high command. He pushes back, but clearly, clearly only because that's what's expected. He then heads onto the bridge and says, We're not going to Vulcan. He's good with letting her stay. And he tries to make it look like it was his call, not hers. Maybe, maybe helping her save some face with Vulcan High Command. As they reach the expanse, there's a dangerous thermobaric cloud surrounding it. It's going to take him about six hours to get through it. So they have to move very slowly. There's some stuff in the cloud that will damage the intake manifolds and the engines. I don't know. But they're also being tailed by three Klingon ships, including Duras. As they get closer to the Expanse, two of the three ships bail. They don't want to be inverted like the ship we heard about earlier. They come up behind Duras, the Enterprise does, and they launch their new torpedoes, destroying the bird of prey. With the Klingon threat taken care of, we leave everything that we know behind. The Expanse is ahead, Captain. And they head in. Let's see what's in there. Enterprise had a tough go from day one. It was trying to tell stories that Star Trek fans thought would never be told. The days before the Federation was even an idea. It was also caught in this weird time in TV where shows were teetering between episodic and serialization. And frankly, it'd be naive to downplay the impact 9-11 had on all forms of entertainment. This episode and the entire third season Was the direct result of the network, UPN, forcing the show to change it up and try to remain relevant in this changing world. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings, because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. Leadership skills are like any other skills, you need to practice them to get better at them. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. What a dark episode. Trip loses his sister. Seven million people are killed and all from an unknown threat the Earth wasn't supposed to encounter for for probably a few hundred more years. But this was so necessary. In retrospect, I really enjoy Enterprise as a TV show and as part of Star Trek as a whole but at the time, it it really just didn't resonate with fans. This is not Star Trek! This was supposed to be the series that showed us how the Federation was formed. Instead, we got a series struggling to find itself. I remembered this episode as being exciting, and I was eager to see what was waiting in the Delphic Expanse. But watching it now, it's clearly just tying up some storyline pieces and, and kind of resetting the game board. I guess I, guess I just wish they would have leaned into it more. You know, like... When Tripp and Reed are standing on the edge of the damage from the probe, it just, it just looks so clean. This perfectly precise zone of destruction, even with early 2000s TV sensibilities, they, they could have made that a lot darker and a lot more impactful. To me, some of the biggest pieces in this episode were the new weapons, closer, closer to what we're familiar with in modern Star Trek, uh, Tripp getting pushed to a dark place, and the coming together of the human and alien crew members. Uh, She does kinda grow on you. That one is especially fun if you know where some of these relationships go in the future. So I think this episode accomplished what it set out to do. It gave viewers a reason to stick with the show into season three and it started to reset the tone. But on its own, this this is a pretty good episode. kind of fell short on its execution command codes verified while this episode was really meant to transition the series it still took the time to demonstrate some incredible tools for you and yes this is an enterprise episode so it's got some things not to do but it also has an incredible example of what to do to paul and archer have a conversation about her defying vulcan high command Two amazing things happen here. First, T'Pol, in her own way, demonstrates the importance of self-advocacy while Captain Archer has to choose to set aside his assumptions. I'll also share a quick nugget of wisdom that Archer drops in his talk with Trip. But, well, yeah, uh, there's definitely the other stuff too. I'm gonna question the cult of personality that's developed on this ship, and I'm gonna share a clear indicator of how inclusive your team really is. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. You and I have talked about inclusion a couple of times. The episodes DS9 Meridian and TOS The Devil in the Dark are great examples. And my interview with Eliza Van Court, which, by the way... Honestly, one of my favorite episodes I've done, but that episode talks about it as well. But here, now, I'll say that inclusion is so important because it is the only way you'll ever get the best out of people. You wanted the best! You got the best! You know, I'm always so disappointed when companies talk about their DEI initiatives and they roll out these metrics of new hires by representation or percentage of leadership that represents a specific dimension of diversity. I mean. Yeah, good for you. You hired people that are unique and different and bring their life experiences to the workplace. But if you're still forcing them to conform or mask their behaviors and culture to fit a mold, well, all you're doing is checking a box. Well, good for you. You're wrong. I like to think of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as being alphabetical and progressive. Step one, D, diversity. Be sure you have a group of people that represent different life and cultural experiences. Step two, E, equity. Have structures in place that ensure every single person has exactly what they need to do what is expected of them. Step three, I, inclusion. This is where the diverse teams that have everything they need feel like they're included and wanted. They feel valued and are valued and are able to bring their full selves to work. But how do you measure that? You know, in the toxic dominant culture we work in, we apparently have to measure everything and measuring diversity metrics. Well, well, that's easy. I just run a report out of my HCM or ERP system, you know, human capital management or enterprise resource planning, which honestly, I just really don't care for either of those terms. Humans, humans are not just capital and people are more than resources, but anyway, I just run a report out of my HR system and voila, diversity metrics. Or you could just use the easy button. But inclusion? Oh, jeez. You mean like I have to talk to people to find out if we have an inclusive work environment or not? Ugh. But I'm a manager. I don't want to talk to people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, kind of. Seriously, though, that is a big part of it. Be sure there's a safe place where people can express how welcome they feel, how wanted they feel. You can use surveys sure. I mean, I think the buzzword these days is pulse survey to get an idea, but you have to really talk to people to get the reality of it. I like to think though, in my dreamer's mind, that when you have an inclusive workplace, you can see it, like physically see it. You can Feel it. You can feel it in the interactions that people are having, in the groups that are working together, and the people that are stuck in meetings. Star Trek is really good at talking. They can take just about any issue and spend a good chunk of a 45-ish minute episode talking about it, and usually end up with a solution. But they have their meetings down pretty well. My friends at Lucid meetings would love the team meetings we see on the show. The most common meeting we see is the senior staff coming together. Captain, first officer, science, tactical, medical, engineering. They all come together to bring their expertise and diverse viewpoints to solve a problem. It's great, right? Well, not if you're serving on the Enterprise, apparently. I can't remember the last time you asked me to join the senior staff for a briefing. Wow. I mean... Phlox is the only doctor on the ship, and he's a medical genius. You'd think that while exploring parts of the galaxy that no human has ever seen before, he'd be one of the first people invited to these meetings. But, well, apparently not. So if you're looking for an indicator how inclusive a workplace is, and you see a valuable expert that happens to look different and have wildly different life experiences than most everyone not in the meetings of other experts? (laughs) Houston, we have a problem. So take a minute, literally one minute, and look at who is in the meetings where important things are being discussed, which should be all of your meetings. If they're not all important, then you should call my friends at Lucid Meetings. But see who's there. Also see who is not there. But that's not the final answer in terms of inclusion. It's just an indicator, but it's a very easy one to check. In my very ambitious episode on the entirety of Picard season one, I talked about a cult of personality. I'm not going to talk about it a lot here. You can listen back to that one for a deeper dive, but this is a very real and a very dangerous thing. Long story short, years ago, I managed a program and we accomplished incredible things. I mean, Governing, the website and magazine wrote an article about some of the things we accomplished. All. I'll link that article in the show notes. But within weeks of me leaving for a promotion, everything fell apart. You see, the team wasn't doing amazing things for themselves, the organization, or the people we were serving. No, they were doing those incredible things for me. And that's awful. It's terrible. It's not sustainable. And it actually stops people from being innovative or problem-solving independently. Since then, I work every single day to connect the people I work with to the mission of the organization and not to me. Archer, on the other hand, does not do that. He is apparently all about drumming up a cult of personality. More insight from Flocks here. For me, it was a simple question of loyalty toward the captain. Really? Earth is going to be destroyed. Seven million people have died, and and you're worried about following one person? That is unthinkable to me. Phlox went on to say that he realized he'd be needed for the mission, but that should have been his only motivator. To Paul, I'm going to stick around, there are billions of lives at stake and, and they need me. He could even be a little selfish about it if he wanted to. And I'm excited to see a part of the galaxy no one has survived before, and he could even give credit to Archer. I want to help Archer stop the Zindi, and I know he can get us through the expanse safely. But to put your life on the line just because of simple question of loyalty toward the captain is just, well, it's ridiculous. Okay, let's switch gears. There's a lot of good in this one, too. Real quick, Archer shared a great piece of wisdom with Trip. When I got this job, commanding the first Warp 5 ship was about as big a responsibility as I could have imagined. We grow into our roles. It's rare that you're put in a position and immediately have to do the hardest thing that you've ever done in your career. I mean, it happens, but not most of the time and not to most people. What does happen is you get put into roles that are just a little beyond your skill set, a little beyond your experience, maybe just a little bit too much, but you stretch, you grow, and then you rock it, and then you have to work to make sure that keeps happening Who knows if you keep stretching yourself, maybe someday you too will lead a starship into a section of space that no one has survived before with billions of people counting on you. I want to dive into the conversation Archer and T'Pol had. If you remember Vulcan high command told T'Pol they were pulling her from Enterprise and sending her back to Vulcan. She went through some soul searching or would it be Katra searching if you're a Vulcan? Hmm. Well, either way. She decided she was going to resign her commission and stick around. But to do this, she had to stand up for herself. She had to make her case that she was going to defy orders and stay on board. And she did this by doing a thing many of us struggle with. You might even struggle with this. But that is self-advocacy. There are moments in our lives that are true crossroads taking a job, leaving a job, getting married, getting divorced, whether or not you should have one more piece of cheesecake or not. (laughs) There have been a lot of movies and TV shows that show how one single choice can alter the course of your life. Sliding Doors comes to mind, the butterfly effect, or, or even the first season finale of Strange New Worlds. But far too often, when we find ourselves faced with these decisions, we're too concerned with what people expect of us, of what other people will think of our choice. But here's the thing. Those other people don't have to live your life. They don't have to exist in the result of that choice every second of every hour of every day for the rest of their lives. You do. Paul is faced with that in this episode. She has lived her entire life and built an incredible career by doing what other people expect of her, by making their desires for her, her desires. But she's faced with a choice, a choice that is huge and will have obvious impacts on her life today and well into the future. Normal to Paul, the to Paul that does not advocate or stand up for what she wants, would bow out gracefully, likely thanking Captain Archer for the opportunities and then returning to Vulcan. That is not what happens. With the Enterprise, on a course for Vulcan, Paul's window for advocacy is closing quickly. She meets with Archer and, in her own way, starts saying that she wants to defy high command and remain on board. Archer does what he should do here. As the leader on board, he questions her. Basically, basically sticking to the talking points. It's not a question of my allowing you. The high command would never agree to it. But it doesn't take long for him to realize that she's serious and that she's made up her mind There are five things that T'Pol did here that you can also do in times when you need to advocate for yourself. First, she was confident in her choice and her confidence was apparent. Like, she didn't flinch or start questioning her decision when Archer was asking her questions. Second, she understood the consequences and she verbally accepted them. I've decided to resign my commission. Third, she expressed herself clearly. Fourth, she was persistent. She didn't let Archer's questions deter her and she didn't accept his implicit denial of her request. And finally, fifth, she talked to the right person, to the decision maker. If she had made this decision and only told Flocks, for example, then, then it means nothing. She had to go to the person that can, and in this case did, make it happen. <laughs> the person who can make it so. When you're faced with a choice that matters to you, But the normal thing to do would be to just go with the flow and do what other people would expect. Stop yourself. Decide what you want and then stand up for that. Be a self-advocate. Be confident in your decision. Understand and accept the consequences of your decision. Express your decision clearly. Be persistent and talk to the right person about it. And if you've been following along closely, you've pieced together that this applies when advocating for others as well. Now, I want to end this one on a high note for Archer. I know, I know, that's not something I do very often, but but in this moment with DePaul, he did everything right, and even when a selfless step further, he understands how hard DePaul has worked for her position and the respect among her colleagues. He also understands the privilege his position brings him. So he doesn't let her resign her commission. In fact, he doesn't even let her tell the high command what her decision is. No, Archer takes that heat himself. As far as anyone outside of him and Paul knows, he made the call to keep her on board. This saves her from the consequences of her decision. Quick story on that. a Few years ago, I'd arranged an opportunity for a person I worked with to try out another job. In this organization, you could set up short-term, well, um, rotations really, where the headcount and budget still hit me, but the person gets the opportunity to work in a different department and often at a different level. It's a cool way to help support people's development. Well, in this case, things weren't going well for the person. They were doing okay with the job, but the commute was unbearable for them, and they'd found, they would found they didn't really care for the job. But they knew that a couple of people had really stood up for them and helped them get this opportunity. After a conversation with me that looked, <laughs> looked a lot like the one that T'Pol had with Archer, I told them that I would say I needed them back in my program. I'd take the heat ending the assignment i won't lie that stung for a while and i caught some serious flack for it but that's what you do for the people you work with so i guess oh oh, wow yeah this kind of stings but uh yeah i pulled an archer but it worked out really really well so this episode launches on a completely serialized third season of enterprise To help us navigate that, anytime the random episode generator comes up with an episode from season three, we're going to take them in air date order. I think that way it'll make a lot more sense. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, thank you so much to everyone that joined Red Squad during the drive. I love creating extra content for you and I enjoy the time connecting with people in Starfleet Command. The more people that find the Starfleet Leadership Academy, the more I'm able to create content for you. If you haven't already, will you stop by Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show? Reviews build up social proof that a podcast is worth listening to, and you can help build that for this show. Reviews left on Apple are shared through Twitter at SFLA Podcast once they process. But if you send me a screenshot of the review, I'll also share it across my other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff, T as in torpedo yield, A-K-I-N computer. What are we going to watch next time? The third episode of the third season of Deep Space Nine, The House of Quark. This episode attempts to answer the question, what happens when you take Klingon honor and splice it with Ferengi greed? While Star Trek is famous for talking its way through problems and often lawyering its way through issues, I think this is one of, if not the only time, they use accounting to work through the challenge at hand. And they make that accounting a lot more entertaining than QuickBooks ever has. And you'll see what I mean when we meet next time. And until then, ex astra scientia!